Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to uh, Sports Biz Los Angeles and Believe. I am Fred Wallen, and uh, you're not. And our guest again this week, Tom Hofarth, fine sports writer for many, many years at the L.A. Daily News, and now fine sports writer for the Sports Business Journal and the Los Angeles Times. Tom Hofarth, welcome again to the show. Thank you for having me, Fred. Okay, so USC will be having Clay Helton heading into his fifth season. Tom, I don't know about you, but uh, eight and four. Uh, okay, so he's not Urban Meyer, but uh, he may not uh, put the school on probation or anything like that. And uh, Meyer's been a winning coach at Utah, Florida, Ohio State, but he's had some problems as far as things in the background. And uh, so I'm sort of happy that USC went the way that uh, I just uh, I don't think Clay Helton deserved to lose his job. Your thoughts? No, from a business perspective, which is what you know, a, a prism we like to look at this from. I think attendance was down, and those who are big donors, you know, were causing a lot of of rumblings and and not wanting to renew ticket packages or make contributions, and that's going to happen no matter who's in charge. But with that said, you've got a situation where Clay Helton has been kind of rock steady in a time of turmoil, going back to Kiffin and Sarkeesian getting hired and fired. He's been their fallback guy. He's been the guy that's done all the recruiting now this past offseason, having to tell recruits that, yeah, I, I think I'll be the guy that's there. You'll, you know, you'll read and see things in the news that you know, I, I have no control over. But having a new athletic director and a new school president, having to have had uh, uh, all these controversies and all these other issues with, with lawsuits and other problems that the schools have, you know, why not keep somebody who's been a good foundation again and proven that he can kind of guide you through the storm until, A, you have a suitable replacement who you think is going to lead you to the next level, or, B, maybe somebody on the staff has, has elevated himself to this position. And I don't think either of those, te- those two things have happened. And when you look at the alternatives, the, the, the three obvious ones um, – being uh, Bob Stoops being one, but obviously Urban Meyer as well, um, and then up in, in Washington with Chris Peterson just retiring. These are all guys in their mid-50s who are basically said, I'm burned out on this job. Uh, year-round recruiting, uh, the, the, the transfer portal, all these other things that are in a place that weren't there when I first started make this a year-around job, and I just, you know, I, I'm run out of energy for this. So it's a young man's sport. And if you can keep a guy energized like like Clay Helton, who may be in over his head, maybe a head coach really is a CEO, and he's more conditioned to be a, a, an offensive coordinator or you know special teams coach or whatever, but he's in this job now. If he can surround himself with with great assistants who can kind of carry the load, get them up to nine and three, ten and two, get them back into the conversation. He, I think he's going to keep his job for as long as he keeps doing that. 
I, I don't see any reason why you, you pull the plug on him except for all the people who keep screaming and all the people who, <laughs> you know, want to throw their their weight around. But again, that's that's the business angle versus the personal angle. And I mean, yeah, he's a great guy. And to me, he's always been like the Ted Tolner situation where a great guy, a great guy you want is your your dad, is your uncle, is your father, your spokesman, your the guy who's going to lead young men. Maybe not the you know upper tier coach, but you know. You know who who really is out there. I mean, UCLA obviously has the same issue. They're just not making such a big stink about it. Tom Hofarth with us right here on uh, Sports Business Los Angeles and Believe. My name is Fred Wallen. You can email us at sportsfred at aol dot com. Sportsfred at aol dot com. All right, you just mentioned it. My Bruins of UCLA. They had a, a season-ending party on Sunday night. I'm wondering why. <laughs> I guess that they survived. Uh, I, there's no bowl game for a uh, second year in a row. Um, yeah, what, what what is there to celebrate? I mean, you 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 had uh, the the anticlimactic game at the Rose Bowl against Cal that drew a record low number of attendees. Um, yeah, what do you, what do you make of that? Because uh, I you know I, I don't know what you celebrate from all that. What do what do you sort of make of it? I make of it that a couple of my friends were at that game, the Cal game, and they said, lucky to have 30,000 there. And, <laughs> and I, I was watching it on TV, and the right. camera would not show the crowd, and that was the no. obvious reason. Too many empty seats, and, you know, the same thing in basketball, and uh, we'll see how that works out. But uh, as far as Chip Kelly is concerned, I'm going to say it again. Uh, Mike Bellotti, when he left Oregon and became the athletic director, he left uh, Chip Kelly a lot of dynamite, talented players. Okay, so for four years, Chip Kelly did great at Oregon, but then, you know, with the Eagles, the 49ers, and now with UCLA, he's a losing coach. Yeah. I mean, it's, the scoreboard says it all, right? And if if there's not, again, this demand from donors and, you know, big bank rollers to, to buy him out and to move on to somebody else. You know, again, you have to wait to see who the next athletic director is going to be. Maybe he's got some connections to somebody that, that he can bring in. But it's, 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 again, one of these purgatory situations I think we have at USC and UCLA. As far as the business of college football, it was once king. And just because you put, you know, the red jerseys against the, the blue jerseys out there on a November day, doesn't mean you're going to have a stadium full of people. You know, you're going to have alums that are just kind of upset with the product. And um, eventually, you know, those who wrinkle the jewelry the loudest are the ones who kind of make the decision. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So we're talking USC. We're talking UCLA. Last time I checked, they were still in the Pac-12. Uh, any thoughts about the Pac-12 TV network and uh, that situation? Well, that's an odd thing because, to me, the the college football playoff committee is trying as hard as it can to get the Pac-12 involved this year, despite everything that the Pac-12 has sort of done to sort of <laughs> undercut itself. It, its TV package is atrocious. It, it you know, again, they want to market this thing as Pac-12 after dark. You know, when when games go past midnight, literally, they start at midnight on the East Coast. But here, if we can't even stay up for the, the games that go, that you know, with 8 p.m. kickoffs, you know, it, it, it gets fewer and fewer eyeballs onto the games, and then you just hear about them, you know, maybe Monday or or later that there was this, you know, 58 to 54 decision somehow. Um, some of the best and most exciting games were played in the Pac-12 this year. That UCLA game at Washington State was insane, um, and 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 they just go unnoticed. And so with the you know, contracts coming up, the Pac-12, 
refuses to have a TV partner. And again, when we're talking about the business of sports, this is kind of where the Big Ten and the SEC and even now the ACC uh, have, have partnered with either ESPN or CBS or NBC having, obviously, the Notre Dame package. And the Pac-12 refuses to do this because it feels like it has a unique um, situation and a unique, a unique uh, uh, brand of things because it, it wants to focus on Olympic sports, which is great, in an Olympic year, which will be next year. But on a, on a season-to-season basis, it sort of neglects the, the power of what it can do with football and basketball. So it, the Pac-12 never has done itself any favors um, by by scheduling games on Thursday nights and Friday nights where the teams seem to cannibalize each other. You know, Utah is the, is the number five team now. It, its only loss was to USC, I think, on a Friday night game. Yep. Uh, again, for the benefit of Fox. So it's, it's, it's one of those situations where the Pac-12, I don't know – how you fix it, but it, it's whatever it's doing now is 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 a disservice to the conference and and I don't really think Utah belongs in the top four. I mean Oklahoma just as right of anybody else. I mean even even Baylor, if Baylor wins the the Big Twelve, you know that they might be ranked ahead of Utah. But it's just they're giving the Pac-12 every opportunity to get into the Final Four, and the Pac-12 does everything it can to just keep stumbling. So. Um, it's it's as frustrating as again if you're a Direct TV subscriber and you can't see the Pac-12 network, just like you can't get the Dodger network. You know what, what's the point of it? Um, you know I, I I DVR a lot of Pac-12 games because I have Spectrum Sports, and I'm you know one of the ones that get it. And I Dish Network still gets it, but it's 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 again one of these networks that just not has paid out for the for the conference as well as it thought it would. Well, the way I heard it, uh, Larry Scott. Uh, uh, when he first went to ESPN, asked ESPN for more than the Big Ten is getting, meaning yeah. the Big Ten's not on the number one tier, uh, you know, where everybody can watch it. So my point is the Pac-12, according to what I heard, as far as Larry Scott was concerned, he asked to be on the the uh, the tier where everybody can get it. And then, of course, uh, ESPN would be have a big problem because, hey, the Big Ten would come back to him and say, then how come we're not there? And the ACC right. now and the SEC would have to ask for the same thing. So I don't blame the ESPN. I blame Larry Scott and uh, the Pac-12. And, and the teams are making lots of money, but they could be making a lot more money under better circumstances. And you just mentioned DirecTV. Bottom line is... Uh, I thought that there had to be a deal after all these years. Larry Scott would have to cave. He's never caved. And I don't right. know how many can direct TV like myself, I think 25 million subscribers, although they're losing a lot of subscribers because believe me, AT&T is so greedy that uh, people are changing. You changed. A lot of people have changed the spectrum or the other ones. But the, the, the point is, I think this is on Larry Scott again. I just think yep. he's asking yep. for too much. And, and I think that, uh, I don't know what the future might hold, but let me tell you, I, I, I've got the Heisman ballot. I've had it for 25 years. I voted this uh, week. I can't tell you who I voted for, but, I mean, there was nobody in the Pac-12 that uh, No, no. But No, I, I, I have a Heisman vote myself, and I, I was going to wait until this weekend, but I still don't, I don't know what the use of waiting is because it's just, you know, I, 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 you know I've, I've got thoughts about it, but I just want to kind of see how things play out. Something could, could happen crazy, but, um, yeah, the, the Pac-12 – to me, has just never been on on anybody's radar, and why should it be now? I mean, um, you gave Oregon a, a great shot at doing something. It you know, it, it, the, the the conference just kind of cannibalizes itself. There have been years, Tom, where 
um, if a player from the Pac-12 had been on TV more often, maybe he would have had a shot to win oh, the yeah. Heisman. That's what we're talking about here, folks. And as Tom mentioned, if you start a game at 7.30 or 8 o'clock Pacific time, that's 10.30 or 11 p.m. in the East. It's going to end at 2, 2.30 in the morning in the East. You're going to tell me everybody's going to stay up, but a lot of people are going to stay up. No, and I don't care what kind of game it is, they're not. And, again, that goes on Larry Scott and the Pac-12 versus ESPN. I'm taking Larry Scott as the, uh, uh, the, the bad guy here, and the same thing with DirecTV. And, again, AT&T is greedy as heck, but I'm still going to blame Larry Scott because the bottom line is even when it wasn't owned DirecTV by AT&T, Larry Scott could not work out a deal. He asked for too much, in my humble opinion. You are listening to Believe Sports Business Los Angeles. Uh, we talk about uh, sports business, Los Angeles, Southern California, every week right here. And I hope you listen to all the shows on Believe. Tom Hofarth, our guest, fine sports writer for the L.A. Times. And, you know, you guys had a great article. And I followed the Dodgers since the age of five. I never even thought about it this year. But the team that had Jackie Robinson, 1947, Rookie of the Year, first African-American, the second time around for baseball, uh, the Dodgers did not have one African-American player last season. Did you even think about that? I never thought about it until the article in your newspaper. Well, I did and I didn't. And I, it was to me, it was kind of a curious story because I've always seen the Dodgers as sort of an international team. I mean, with, with, Hung, with Ryu. Right. And Maeda, and and uh, just it, it's never occurred to me like you had to have an African American player to really make a statement. And I always, you know, I thought I thought of Russell Martin as an African American player. He's you know half Canadian, black Canadian, and but but and then I and then Kenley Jansen to me seems to, you know, if that's your requirement, check off that box. Um, it, it didn't bother me as much as maybe that story did, and I understand that Ken Landro was one of the people talked to in the story, and 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 Dave Dave Roberts being, you know, half Japanese, half black himself, I don't know how much this bothered him. It didn't seem to bother a lot of the people. I thought that it was trying to point out that it was bothering. Maybe it was just Ken Landro, but but yeah, I I I don't think that's. It was a horribly. Um, um, I'm not sure what the point of the story was, except that yeah, it is kind of you know worth noting. But other than that, I think if Andrew Friedman was quoted in the story, but pretty much saying, hey, I mean, but look at the makeup of the roster; it's pretty you know global. And I think that's kind of more what you're aiming for when when you're in a situation where you have the RBI program trying to cultivate more African American kids to play baseball. There's just fewer and fewer to choose from. So I, I don't necessarily think that's that's. Uh, that not having an African American player is such a, a horrible thing. It's just a matter of, you know, finding players from the population who actually want to play baseball. I agree with you 100%. Again, I thought it was an interesting article because, again, I have followed the Dodgers as closely as I think almost anybody, and I never even thought about it twice, just for the no. reasons that Tom Pofar said. I mean, it's an international club. It has been, and I don't think the Dodgers uh, have gone out of their way not to. Uh, play african-americans obviously uh no no that's so i mean yeah if that was the implication that they've gone out of the way to not have them i don't think that's fair at all it's just that it's sort of more of a coincidence than anything all right before we go i'm going to put you on the spot thomas hofarth sunday night football with alan chris rams at home against the seattle seahawks and uh, the seattle seahawks are actually a two and a half point favorite as we tape this on wednesday afternoon at about 
521 Pacific Standard Time. Seahawks two and a half point favorite at the Coliseum. And of course, last time, uh, the last week or two weeks ago, when the Rams were on Monday Night Football, we know of the 45 to six disaster. So. In between, Jared Goff threw for 400 yards. So is this going to be an up, up game for Jared Goff, $134 million guy, or a down game for Jared Goff, the $134 million guy? You know, it's it's the weekly coin flip. You just don't know what Rams team is going to show up, which is a horrible thing to say about a team that went to the Super Bowl last year and, and was very predictable on how well they could put up points. This year, I, I don't know what to make of them on a week-to-week basis, on an opponent-to-opponent basis. I could just as easily have seen them losing last week, uh, you know, in Arizona and, and not thought twice about it. Just as I could probably see them blowing out the Seahawks just because, you know, something develops right and, something, you know, everything kind of falls into place. Um, it's interesting, too, that watching the last Monday night game, Rams fans, I'm not sure who they were pulling for, whether it was Minnesota or Seattle, because both teams affect whether they get in. And it turned out that Seattle winning probably was the best, you know, the, the, the best situation because Minnesota is the team you want to knock out as for that second wild card spot because I don't think they're going to be able to catch um, Seattle. But, but that said, you know, they still have to play Dallas. They, they, they still don't have an easy way to the end. So uh, whatever percentage you're giving the Rams of making the playoffs, 20% maybe at this point, you know, 50%. I, I, I could, I wouldn't bet any money on them just because they're just too unpredictable. I mean, the only thing you can predict, I think, in LA football is that the Chargers are going to lose by seven or less points each week. <laughs> <laughs> and the Melvin, only guarantee I can give you. And Melvin Gordon will be elsewhere next season. Um, <laughs> all right. So here's my prediction before we go. I don't know who's going to win the game. I think more. I don't even know what the total is. I'm guessing 47-48. I'm saying there's going to be more than 55 points scored in this game because uh, Russell Wilson is an unbelievable fourth-quarter quarterback, and he's not bad in the first three quarter quarters either. But in the fourth quarter, he's tough to yeah. beat. He's going to score a couple yeah. touchdowns or pass a couple touchdowns. So I'm looking for a high-scoring affair on Sunday night football. I can hardly wait, and I can hardly wait uh, for next week if you can do it, Thomas Hofarth. We'll do it again. Believe and Sports Business Los Angeles. I believe we can make that happen. Thomas Hofarth, known him a long time, good friend and uh, tremendous sports writer. Thomas, we'll see you next Wednesday right here on Believe Sports Business. You guys and gals can email us, sportsfred at AOL.com, sportsfred at AOL.com. I'd like to thank Mario and Dom for putting it together. And we will see you next week right here on Believe Sports Business Los Angeles. Bye, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.